You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Vulture. Culture has much to say about the empowerment of women, and for that matter, Scripture does too. But have we bought into a culture that is actually counter to what it means to be a Christian woman? So we are in week three of this series entitled Vulture. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say Vulture. Now, if you're new with us today... Um, you might be saying, Vulture, what is that about? We, this is like zoology? What are we doing today? Um, no, actually, we're talking about specifically about culture and the type of culture that exists within the church, within a secular culture as well, and how we, we said this from the beginning, that if you want to, to be specific in training a certain culture or raising up a certain culture, then you have to take a look at the values, And so you can't just say like, hey, let's just change the culture of something. Let's change my personal culture. Let's change the culture of my house or the culture of a country. You can't change the culture unless you you determine the values. So last week, we spent some time talking about biblical values as it pertains to biblical masculinity as given to us through Paul in the writings of Titus. It's very practical for us. And today we're going to be talking specifically from Paul's perspective to, to a young pastor named Titus about what it looks to be biblically feminine, okay, within the body of Christ. And I think that this is so important for a number of reasons, uh, but let's just go ahead and jump into Scripture. Titus chapter 2, look at this with me. You can join in, turn there, open up there, read there, watch there, listen there. Um, Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 3, we read this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and love their children. Let me hear you say, love your husbands, love your husbands. and love your children. Yeah, to be self-controlled. That shouldn't have been so hard to say, by the way. The first part of it seemed to be a little difficult. Love your husband and love our children. Self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and the one we don't like, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so today we're going to be talking about this, uh, about this passage of Scripture. And let me just state from the onset, I'm not here to give you my opinion I'm not here to give you like my necessarily like my bent or perspective. Um, how, do, how many of you know that we're here to to gain an understanding of what Scripture has to say? We we want to know what God's Word has to say because regardless of my position, um, there is an authoritative truth which is found in Scripture. We like to say it this way: like uh, regardless of what Scripture says, it is true. So uh, my feelings have nothing to do with the matter of truth. Maybe that's a way to say it. God's word states something. If we believe that it's true, then it's true regardless of my emotions or my feelings about it. Would you agree with that? Yes? Yes. And so as it pertains to Titus chapter 2, masculinity and women, uh, femininity, uh, there are going to be some things here I think that we're not going to necessarily like. I know that that was the case last week for us as men in speaking about what it meant to be a man. The standard is high. And there's a lot of things that I want to do as a man that I am, I am binded by Scripture or bound by Scripture not to do. Things I want to engage in that I cannot, if I'm going to call myself a man of integrity, a biblical man, I cannot do those things. Likewise, for you as older women, younger women, there are things that might be norm in society, but, but quite honestly are very um, unbiblical. I would say this, some of the things that God's Word teaches us about biblical womanhood are quite countercultural. 
Some of it may be different than how you were raised, maybe new to you. Some of it might actually make you upset. But, but let me just remind you, the way of Jesus is always a break from the societal norm. And do we not see that in his life? It's always a break from the societal norm. Um, Jesus himself is, is always counterculture. He seems to always be countercultural. And just so you understand, like the societal norm, he broke from the societal norm, but Jesus also broke from the religious norm. And so before you think that, oh, this is just a sermon about me becoming more religious, no, it's not. This is more a teaching for us about how to live in the way of Jesus, because the way that Jesus lived was different. Counterculture to a secular culture, counterculture to a religious culture. And I wonder if there should be a new culture that arises, a culture of Christ, not one stated by secular, not one stated by religious, but one stated from Scripture, coming up and out of the life of Christ. And understand, this is important for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is because a church can only follow culture so far down. I know that there was a, a, a hard minute there where it was very, like, you know, culturally relevant. That was a big word. I heard that word in college a lot, going for an undergrad in student ministry and a degree in student ministry. We heard that. You got to be culturally relevant, be relevant, be relevant, be relevant. But somehow in our relevancy, we lost some biblical relevancy, right? We, we kind of we kind of sold the cow, you know, and the whole farm. We like sold it all. And we're like, oh, let's just throw it out the door. Let's just make sure we're culturally relevant. But I want you to know that you will be culturally irrelevant without the gospel. Like any relevance you bring to the conversation is not going to add value. What adds value is the gospel. The gospel is always relevant. It is on us, however, to present that in a way that we can communicate well with culture. I get that. But understand, the day and the time is coming where we cannot chase culture down the road. And I think it might be close at hand. Because as we talk about masculinity and femininity and issues of gender, I think that we are at a pretty close stopping point to where we can follow culture down the road in terms of emulating it and being relevant to it as practicing what it's practicing. In other words, we need to create some culture. From inside the house of God, we need to create some culture. And so Paul, writing an instructional letter to Titus, he says it like this in verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to. Read this next line with me. What? Much wine. Some of you just went, much wine. Okay, good. They are to teach what is good and train young women. Let's just talk about this. Let's reiterate. Uh, when Paul is talking about older women, some of you are like, What's the, what? am I considered an old, am I older? No, understand, it is not age, it is a stage, okay? So just so you know, Paul, when he says older women, he's not talking about a specific age, he's talking about a specific stage. Stage being, you have raised children, you, you are married, have been married, and your, your kids are now gone from you, okay? Like they maybe are now raised and they are married um, younger women would, would be the opposite. A younger woman would be someone who is not yet married or newly married, might have kids still in the home. And so that is kind of the approach. Are we following? So I'm not calling you Paul. I'm not calling you old. Uh, Paul is. I'm not calling you old. Um, it's not an age. It's a stage. And so from that perspective, let's talk with the older women in our, in our body of Christ here, okay? So kind of, I would take some notes on this maybe. This is a great opportunity um, to take some notes um, we write down these things because we worship in spirit and in, and in truth. Let's unpack this. 
First question for us is, uh, where do we look for what's culturally acceptable for older women? In other words, where do we take our cue for what it means to be uh, an older woman? And I think, sadly, not, like some of us might say, like, we're my mom or my auntie, or maybe, you know, uh, maybe my sister, she's along, and me and my grandmother. But by and large, you know mostly how we gauge what's culturally appropriate? By what's taking place in culture. And what highlights culture the most is usually media, TV, movies, uh, TV shows, uh, things like that, maybe, maybe the internet, Facebook, whatever. And, and I think if we're to take our cue of what uh, older woman, older femininity to, looks like I think from our culture, I think that our culture and society has done a great disservice to our women, a great disservice. It doesn't take much channel surfing to run across one of the many you know, real housewives from fill in the blank. Um, and I'm not just like throwing it on real housewives, although I feel like I could. Um, but, but it doesn't take much channel surfing to run across a real housewife from wherever to understand what I'm talking about. By the way, if you have not had the distinct pleasure of catching up on one of the real housewives of Atlanta or L.A., you are truly missing out on a cultural gem, okay? I'm just letting you know. Um, that's sarcasm. Because what you're going to see there is gossipy, overly boozy, overly bougie, midlife women. Can I get an amen? You with me on that? I love, even claps. I love that you responded more to that than anything else that's happened today. Okay. Now, all joking aside, society and culture has painted these women, or midlife women, right, um, paints a picture that has become a, a societal and cultural norm. Now, most of us see this for what it is, but the fact of the matter, it's become very socially acceptable to become very dramatic and gossipy and given in to much addictions. And like I said, many of us see it for what it is, but, but you know who doesn't? The next generation coming up. They don't. You see it for what it is. They see it for what it should be, for what they should be. And so what happens is we start modeling or, or patterning our lives after what we see. This, by the way, is why it's so important for you to be very intentional about what you allow yourself to watch, what you allow yourself to listen to, the type of things that you engage in. Now, there is, a, a, there is a, uh, an opportunity here to become very legalistic. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. There is freedom and, and grace and liberty within the body of Christ. I'm just saying this. Know that everything you take in is shaping and forming you, and it's going to come out somewhere, okay? Understand that. And so when you just have a show playing in the background that has gossip, and these people are, like I said, boozy and bougie, like all in the background, right? And you're like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just playing in the background. It's playing in the background, but it's going in your mind. It is shaping you. And over time, even though it's a compound effect, that shaping, like the, like the waves over rocks, will shape you. Combine that with music that, that isn't uh, very Christ-centered whatsoever. Combine that with a news feed that's just spitting venom all day long. Combine that with a, with a gram that literally is just showing you who you're not and highlighting how great, how great everybody else is and not you. And what you start to do is create a pattern for your life that you're not good enough. Am I speaking today to anybody? And what we begin to do is we begin to train our children. We begin to train our daughters in things that are not biblically accurate, biblically healthy. We have to see this stuff for what it is. 
It is an attack on a biblical worldview. Now, I'm not saying that you need to pick it like, you know, real, real housewives of L.A. I'm not saying that. You don't need to, like, send them nasty Facebook messages to Kylie Richards or Teddy Joe Mellencamp. I'm not saying that. It's not their fault, okay? I'm simply asking you to take notice. Notice of what? Notice of this. Some of the things that we deem as entertaining, Scripture deems as sinful. And yet we allow it. Don't just allow it. We ingest it. Don't just ingest it. We just casually ingest it. It's a thing. It's funny. It's, it's okay. It's not a big deal, right? Older ladies. And if older women aren't paraded, by the way, around as gossipy, it's wine o'clock somewhere, drama queens. They are portrayed as over-sexualized, bored with life, too busy for kids, women. Can we just agree that this is not the, script, this is not the picture that Scripture paints of a godly woman? Yeah. When we look at the message of culture as it pertains to younger women, it gets even harder to talk about. In fact, I, I can't even, I can't, I'm not even comfortable talking about it. <laughs> I'm not joking. I, I can't even get into the true depth of the message that culture is portraying of what it looks like to be a younger woman. I, I can give you the PG version. I'm not even excited about that. PG version of what it means in culture to be a young woman today is this over-sexualized alcoholic, career-driven, success-driven, I am woman, hear me roar. I can have everything, but I don't need a husband or a family. Now, listen to me, because the thing that you might think is like, oh, I see what this is. You're not for female empowerment. No, you're wrong. I am all for female empowerment. It's just that the empowerment should come from the Holy Spirit and not the world. I'm all about you being strong and brave and bold and loud women. I'm all about that. Be empowered. Just be empowered by Jesus. Understand that if you are empowered by any spirit that is not Jesus, you're not empowered by Jesus. And so often we, we try to divide and draw these lines and divisions within our church. We're all to be empowered and emboldened by the gospel and the spirit of Jesus Christ. The empowerment that you have, young ladies, older women, should come from a place of adhering to Scripture, not departing from it. You might be emboldened by departing from Scripture, but you will never be empowered unless you adhere to it. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of his teachings and his Scripture. And there are some passages in the Bible where we would easily rally behind all of us and say, amen, yes, preach it. But then we come to passages like Titus chapter 2 and we shudder. A chill goes down our spine and fire goes through our veins. Well, Travis, better be, he better be careful about what he says about working at home. He better be careful. I'm just telling you, lean over to your husband. I'm, I'm just telling you, he better be careful about his definition of submissive. See, why is it that we approach Scripture with so much fear and intrepidation? Do we not truly serve a good Father? Do we not serve a God who orders things and put things, who designed us, who, who designed us at a molecular level and says, this is going to go here, this is going to go here, these things work together, and then this happens. We care, we trust, we know that he holds every single thing together. But then we read a passage of Scripture like this, and we're like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, I'm kind of scared. Can I just tell you this this morning? You don't need to fear scripture. It is given to us to reprove us, to train us. Yes, often to rebuke us, but to grow us closer to know our God. 
You don't need to have fear. What you should fear is when you don't abide by it. What you should fear is when you don't take your cue from it. What you should fear is when you stop viewing it as truth for your life. Now, I would say this before I lose you, okay? Because I know we have this opportunity here to outsource why this is a problem, why we have drifted from biblical masculinity and as it pertains today, biblical femininity. Like, we're always the first to point fingers, right? What culture is to blame? Amen, pastor? I'll tell you, women ain't the same today because culture. That's what we say, right? Women's ain't the same. Women's. I ain't the same today. Because of culture, society, and TV. You know what? You're not wrong. Culture is to blame. Kind of. But do you know who really is to blame? Do you know who is to blame for the failure of biblical femininity today as it pertains to older women and younger women and our daughters even now? Do you know who's to blame? It's us. It is our church. It is the church of Jesus Christ. We are the ones truly to blame. And let's just be clear about that. And I'll tell you why. Because for a long time, the church and the way church went about valuing women was not biblical. Not biblical in the least. Part of it was the times, which does not make it excusable. But most of it was poor, chauvinistic, cowardly male leadership. That's what it was. That's what it was. For whatever reason. Chauvinistic male leadership. So can we just say something, make something clear here today so you know where I'm speaking from? Scripture, where, I, where you know where I'm coming from, what our church believes, what we, what we stand on. Here it is. Listen, if you ever wonder, understand this. When Scripture speaks of male and female, when it speaks of man and woman, by the way, two genders in Scripture, male, female. So when Scripture speaks of the gender male, when it also speaks of the gender female, at no time, listen to me, does it assign greater worth to a male than it does a female? At no time does it ever assign greater value to a male or a female. Men and women are created equal in worth, equal in value, equal in personhood, yet different in role. Understand that. Equal in value, equal in, in worth, equal in personhood, yet different in role. And just like I have a role to play in the body, you have a role to play in the body. I am not greater in the body than you. In fact, have we not learned this? In Ephesians, does not Paul tell us whether Jew or Greek, free or slave, all are equal. We've all been baptized into one spirit, under the same God, under the same headship of Jesus Christ. All of us are, are, are equal, yet our roles are different. As Paul here, he's simply highlighting the different expectations of these differences as it pertains to our masculinity and femininity. Let me just say, it is vital to the body of Christ that we get back to biblical femininity. It is vital to the body of Christ that we get back to men being strong, biblical, masculine men. You understand what I mean by that, right? Not in the appearance, but in the actions. It's important. So let's talk about it. One of the things that we have lost, mentioned this last week, one of the things that, that Paul makes very clear that we have lost is, is, is this is this mentorship? Is this mentoring? We see in chapter two, we see the older men and the older uh, older men and the younger men. 
and the training and the teaching, discipleship, mentoring that's supposed to be taking place. But we also see, also see that between older women and younger women. And so the first thing I would tell you is this. You are, as an elder lady, okay, age, or stage, not age, you are to teach what is good and train the young women. Direct commandment from Scripture. Older women, you are to teach what is good and train the young women. Listen to me, older ladies. It is part of your job. It is part of your role. It is part of your duty in the body of Christ to teach younger women. Part of your job, specifically, you are called to teach younger women and to train younger women. I talked about this last week with our older gentlemen, but I would say the same thing to you ladies. We need you. Good grief, we need you. We need you to teach us how to love a man for more than five years. We need you to teach us how to raise our kids. How do you deal with them? Show us. Don't we need this, ladies? And so so, so for many of us, like, you were raised with godly moms, but for many of us, even more of us, you weren't. You don't know what it means to be a mom. You don't, you don't know, do I, do I cook dinner? Should I not cook dinner? Is that expected? Is that sexist? Should I clean it? Should I do prayer? What if my husband's not a Christian? Should I pray with him? Should I not? We don't know how to be biblical wives. You do. Teach us. Mentor us. Train us. You have knowledge, you have experience, you have value, you have worth within the body of Christ. Listen to me, older ladies. We need you. I'll tell you this, I I had, growing up, I had a number of influences. I'm grateful. I had a number of influences in my life, one of which was one of the stronger influences was an older lady. And she was a family friend, and she's now gone to be with the Lord and I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't know if you've ever interacted with somebody where almost every time you, you, you see them or talk with them, you kind of are like, did you just have a meeting with Jesus? You know what I mean? Did you just like talk to God face to face? You ever have anybody like that in your life? This older lady. Man, every time I was around her, I literally felt like I was in God's presence. And I really can't remember anything that she said I just remember how she was. I do remember that she was always quoting scripture, just always. I mean, I mean, you ever talk with somebody who it's just like it just it just fumbles out their mouth. Well, you know, Travis, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, well, Travis, you know, like the sword, it's a it's a it's a it's a double you know, the Bible's like a double-edged sword. It's just, it's just always, always, always. It's like, wow, you know, I always felt like I was in God's presence. And it wasn't something really that she said, it was who she was, older ladies, we need you. And sometimes you say, like, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what to say. Could you just be? Sometimes you, we just need you to be with us as younger women. Sometimes we just need you to weep with us as younger women. Are you feeling me this morning? Sometimes you just need an older woman from a younger woman's perspective. You just need an older woman to come into your home, sit down with you, put, your arm, put her arm around you, and say, it's okay, honey. We're going to get through this. I know your husband's crazy. He'll get, we'll get through this. I know your kids are climbing on the walls. We'll get to it. We, we need that. We've lost that. We've lost that in our society. 
We've lost that. We need to pick that back up. Listen to me, ladies. It is part of your job to do that. Teach what is good. Scripture tells us this. Teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the older, that the word of God, rather, may not be reviled. Did you notice this? This is really interesting. Older women are to teach and train younger women to do what specifically? Love their what? Love their husbands. This is fascinating to me. I studied this quite intensely. And here's the conclusion I've come to. I've come to this conclusion. There are some things that a, that a husband cannot tell his wife. I've come to that conclusion. Now, how I've come to that conclusion, I won't tell you. But I have come to that conclusion. There are some things that a husband is better off not saying to his wife. There's also some things that a husband cannot actually tell his wife. Why? For this purpose, they must be passed down through the body of Christ from an older generation to a younger generation. Which means this, church, if we are not in community, we are missing out. We hear this, it's often very cliche, right? Like, well, you know, we're made to live in community, and that's like a tagline. But just because it's cliche doesn't mean it's not true. It's very true. If you are missing out on community, you are not made to live life alone. Specifically, there is knowledge and wisdom from an older woman that needs to come to a younger woman as it pertains to how to love her husband better, how to love her children better. There is something that we cannot know on this side of age or stage that you know on this side of age or stage that we need to get that I don't know as a husband. I don't know. I have no clue. Travis, how do I, I have my ideas of how my wife can love me better. Well, I can tell you, you can love me better. I mean, like, I can tell you, you want to know, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be for my good. It might make me excited, but it may not be what I, might not be what I actually need. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at here? Yeah. How do I love you better, Travis? Well, you can make that meatloaf, like, I don't know, more. You could do that. You could do this, you could do that. We won't get into the details, but you get my point. We could do this or do that. But as it pertains from an older woman coming to my wife, man, we need that. There's things that we miss, some things that we can't say outside of community. Now, let's break this down. Older women are to teach them. We got this. Right now, my question is this. Who, who is doing that teaching? Who is doing it? And, and also notice this. Uh, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Old, older women are to do that. Um, but this is very important. Look at this. This is really, really important. Teach what is good. He gives, Paul gives the initial command. The command is this. Teach what is good. The command is to teach. Let me hear you say it. The command is to what? Teach. All right. Teach what is good. That's a command. Then he gives the meat or the what. So we got the command, teach. The meat or the what is self-control, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands. Okay. So that's the meat. That's the what. Teach, okay, what's good? What? Self-control, pure, working at home, okay. But then he demonstrates the why. Why do we teach those things? And he says, so that scripture is not departed from. So that scripture is not reviled. Did you catch that? This is the understanding. This is huge. When I got this, it changed everything for me. Seriously, it changed everything. Here's what it means. The understanding from scripture here is that if the older generation of godly women are not teaching a younger generation of godly women. There is a way in which the next generation can begin to revile or depart from God's word. Okay? This word revile here in its original uh, writing is, is the word blasphemo. 
we know, blasphemous, right? And so what Paul is trying to get across is that if we don't intentionally train younger women up through the godly mentorship of of, of women, then it's going to hurt the cause of Christ. In fact, this blasphemeo literally means to vilify. In fact, if you really want to get down to brass tacks, the understanding is this. If we don't follow the command to train, we will end up seeing a generation come up, grow up to think that God's commands are so backward, so countercultural, so against the norm, that they're not just wrong, they're actually evil. Now let that sink in for a minute. And let me ask you, are we not there now? There was a day in time not that long ago, in fact, when I was a young student in school, we would stand up, put our hands over our heart, say the Pledge of Allegiance, then we would put our hands at our side, and our teacher or our principal would pray, public school. I'm not here to talk about school. But understand, here we are, less than a generation later, and we have people where once the scripture was the beacon to our country, now we weren't perfect. But it was at least a guiding principle in our country. But now we read scripture, and we don't just see it as wrong. People see it as wrong. We see it as what? We see it as what? Bigoted. Evil. Hate speech. How did that happen? Well, the, the, the corrupt you know, community and the, and the culture. No, it's, it's we didn't train people. That's why it happened. It's exactly what Paul says will happen. We failed to train the generation on what it means to be biblical, on what it means to be a, a woman who's close to Christ's heart. We, we failed to train them. And as a result, our generation has begun to revile against God's word. See, what happens when you don't adhere to the whole of Scripture as the truth is you begin to depart from Scripture and believe that it has no truth. And get this, it's getting into our churches as well. Let me give you some statements that seem on the nose really good, but in the end are a picture of what it means to revile God's word. Look at this. Statement number one. Here's what we hear. Strong statements, but let's just see what it sounds like. Statement number one. We hear this. I believe that scripture has some great principles for me to live by. Statement number one. Statement number two. I believe that scripture is inspirational in helping me become my best self. Do we not see churches like like surrounding these statements? Like become your best self. Come to church. Get inspired. Go to church. Are you, guys, are you guys still with me today? Yes or no? Yes? Okay. This is very important, okay? Um, because these may seem like very biblical statements, but the devil is in the details, right? This is like saying that Jesus, like if I said, do you believe in Jesus? You said, yeah, he was a great moral teacher. Like there should be a comma, not a period there. And? No, he's just a great moral teacher. Anything, anything else to add, add to that? No. Oh, okay. Because you left off and he's the son of God. It's not that he wasn't a great moral teacher. It's just that he wasn't only a great moral teacher. It's not that scripture isn't inspirational. It's it's that there's a whole lot more there. So we can't leave that part out. Yes, scripture has great practical principles. However, it commands and demands a certain level of obedience and style of life and ordering our life. These aren't principles that we insert into our life. It is a completely different way of doing life. And for a long time, we've tried to straddle both cultures and say that we belong to one. You're right, but it's not this one. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. 
Scripture says, deny yourself, crucify your flesh, and follow Jesus. Jesus is clear, not only in his teachings, but his demonstration of life. There is a different way to go about living. And he, although it breaks his heart, he will give you over to your disobedience if you desire that. So you could say that scripture is inspirational, but not know Jesus. So the difference in knowing Jesus is obedience. Scripture could inspire me all day, but if it doesn't inspire me to the point where I'm obedient, then it really doesn't matter. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we're seeing these implications of not training us all around. All right, let me give you three points you can walk away with here. Number one, to the older women, number one, and to the younger women, number one, order your lives biblically. Paul says it like this in Titus 2, verse 3, says, Older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. What is Paul saying here? Okay, he's saying this. Um, By the way, this is the same thing, the same command he gives to the older men, okay? Specifically, he says, be reverent, okay? That Greek word there is a big word, which I'm not going to pronounce for us today. Um, But it basically means be holy, get holy. The understanding of holy is this, it is separate. There should be something defining about your life, older ladies, something different about your life, okay? This means that you are to be set apart, be different than those around you. I think for some time time now, we're kind of like, we've thought of ourselves as great missionaries. I'm such a great missionary. Like all my friends who don't know Jesus, they think I'm just the same as them. You might not be a missionary, you just might be the same as them, right? It's not that you are... Reaching them, they might just be reaching you. Are you following me? Yeah? Yeah. It'd be different. Order your life in a holy way. Don't gossip. Specific, don't gossip. This is in reference to division. Don't be a divider, but speak the truth in love. We referenced this a while ago. And this is for men and women, right? And I know nobody here gossips. It's like other churches do, not us. Um, but we do, we do Christian gossip, though, right? We call those prayer requests, you know? In small groups, like, oh, did you hear about Pastor David and Jera? Did you hear about that? We, <laughs> oh, you didn't? Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you later. We really need to pray for them. Oh, okay. Can't wait to hear that juicy prayer request. You know what I mean? Like, that's not prayer. That's, that's gossip. Paul says, stop it. It's the division. You're training the next generation on what's okay, and it's not. He says not to be given to much wine. What's he talking to? He's talking about watch your addictions. Watch what you wrap yourself up into, older women, younger, younger women. Watch what you are addicted to. Why is it important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because I know there's Christian liberty. There's all these things. I understand that. But here's what, here's what you have to understand. Um, you need to be in a position where you are able to speak not only with your words, but also with your life. And too many of you, you have great words to say. But because of your position and your addictions, no one wants to hear from you. Now, I know that cuts, but it's also truth. More is caught than taught. Get your life aligned. Get your addictions under control. Get your gossip to stop. Get the drama to quit. You have wisdom, but you're unable to share it because how you've placed yourself or aligned yourself in your life. Does that make sense? We need you. You have too much good stuff to share, but you can't share it if you put yourself in a position of knowing when to hear from you. Number two, number one, order your lives biblically. Number two, know what God's word says. 
It says this there, to teach and train what is good and so train the younger women. I would say this out the gate. You can't train or you can't teach what you don't know. <laughs> you can't teach what you don't know. Ain't that the truth? You ever been taught by somebody who didn't know what they were teaching you? One of my first jobs, one of my first jobs at a fast food restaurant, I was trained by somebody younger than me who did not know how to do the job they were training me for. They were reading from a manual, word from word, not Emmanuel. They were reading from a manual, a manual, okay? Who <laughs> clarify that, okay? They're reading from Jesus? No, they're reading from a book. Okay, you want to take your spatula? Do you have a spatula there? I don't know where a spatula It's right over there. It should be. Hey, does anybody know where the spatula Okay, it's up here on the wall. Okay, that's where, okay, yeah, I guess that's where it goes. They didn't know. You can't train. You can't teach what you don't know, which means this. Study to show yourself approved. Listen, ladies, you need to know God's word, and it's on you to know God's word. You are responsible for your biblical impact or your biblical intake. You are responsible for your biblical understanding. You are responsible for your level of holiness and biblical literacy. Stop waiting for a podcast to come out to teach you about godly womanhood. Stop waiting for another book on how to be biblically feminine. Stop waiting on how to be a woman in this. Pick up the mantle of spiritual growth and grow. Be bold, be strong. You are smart, you are intelligent. You have incredible worth and value. Stop living like you don't. You have it all in you. You have the creator who lives inside of you. The same spirit that lives in Jesus, that lives in me, that lives in your husband, lives in you. Access that power. Get empowered by the Holy Spirit. Stop waiting around. Stop sitting on a corner. Well, my church never taught a woman's series. Well, I never did this. Well, I'm just waiting on that new podcast. Well, Joyce Meyer said, just get up and do it. You don't have to wait for anybody. You can do it all on your own. Know from a biblical perspective what it looks like to be a wife who loves her husband and children. Now, this can be a dividing line for some of us. I understand this, okay? But I don't think it has to be. I believe the scripture has come to give us freedom. And there's a way that we can interpret this perspective from a very fundamental legalistic point of view. And I think that's incredibly wrong. Okay? Right? As we read this and it says, you know, submissive and, and working from home. For a long time, there were churches that preached on that as a, well, this means this. And women can't hold a job. And women can't do this. And you better blah, 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 blah. I don't think that's what it means at all. That's not what it means at all. I, I said it to the men like this. Wanting to be successful is not sinful, but if you're sin, I'm ra rather, wanting to be successful is not a sin. But if your desire for success comes at the expense of your sanctification, then that success is a sin. Okay? Wanting to work is not a sin. Wanting to have a career or an extra income is not sinful for us as women. But doing that while sacrificing our children makes it sinful. That'll make a church real quiet real fast. But can we just be honest about something? We continue to outsource our children and wonder why they grow up not knowing Jesus. Your primary call, ladies, is to train up your children. Dads, protect and lead and train up your children. Now, I have my degree, have my degree in student ministry. For years, I was a youth pastor. And what I experienced has not changed from that day to now as a pastor of a church. I have witnessed countless, if not hundreds and hundreds, of parents drop off 
their high schoolers, drop off their junior hires, and expect a youth pastor in two hours to make up for what they have not done in six days. Can I just speak to that for a moment? Take accountability. Take ownership. Take some responsibility. Moms, it is on you to train up your daughters and your sons. Dad, it is on you to train up your sons and your daughters. It's on you, and it is your biggest priority, not your looks, not your career, not your blog, not your grandfathers, what it looks like to be a strong, submissive, loving woman, not know what that looks like and learn it from God's word, period, period. For some reason, we have, a, we have this thing where we think like that's a slight to our worth, to our value. Number three, teach and train. Teach and train. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. Paul does not say this will be easy. If anything, we can assume that this will be very difficult. But the longer that we wait, the harder this becomes. Amen? The longer that we wait, the more ingrained this becomes, the more difficult it becomes. And by the way, this is not necessarily a programmable opportunity. Stop waiting for your church to release a new mentorship opportunity and find a young woman to mentor. Younger ladies, listen to me. Stop complaining that nobody's pouring into your life. Go find one. Go find one. Well, how do I find them? Look! Well, I would look, but it's so dark in here. Show up before service starts. I know that's asking a lot. I know that's asking a lot from us as a church. But the lights are on. People hanging out. Hard to meet people when you show up 10 minutes late and leave two minutes early. I'll amen myself on that one. (laughs) Find them. Teach what is good and so train the young women. What does this look like? It means getting involved in each other's lives. It means opening up. It means getting personal. Hey, what's going on in your life? What's going on in your world? How are your kids? What are your kids' names? What do they like to do? How could I pray for you? How can I pray for your husband? What are you walking through right now? How's your relationship with your mom? You have any family in town? How could I bless you? How could I serve you? Older women, we are looking for you. You have value. You have worth. You have, you have so much. We have so much need of you. Younger women, you have value. You have worth. Stop trying to find your value and worth in your career, in your looks. Do you understand that? Do you understand that that is a place that culture is taking you? It preaches that your value is found in how sexy you are. Your value is found in how good you look. Your value is is found in your hair or your skin color or your status in life. And so we spend our lives trying to chase this impossible goal of perfection. And some of us get very close. And then we realize that we're just as empty as we ever were. Don't you know that you have value in your father's eyes? Don't you know that regardless of your shape or size or, 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 or career or aspirations, that God created you to be exactly who you are right now? He created you and you have perfect worth, perfect value. Your value can never be diminished. Well, Travis, you don't understand. You don't understand how much value I've lost. Not for a minute. Have you ever lost value in your father's eyes? I saw an illustration the other day of a man, of a pastor who pulled out a $100 bill. He said, you know this $100 bill, I could take it and it's interesting. I could crumple it up. I could step on it. I could kick it around. 
could, you know, rip it and tear it a little bit. But if I go to a store and I give them that $100 bill, it still has the same value. It still has the same worth. Isn't that just how it is with Jesus? Listen to me, ladies. I don't know who's stepped on you. I don't know who's crumbled you up and threw you out. I don't know who's torn you. I don't know who's hurt you. But I want you to know no matter where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you, you have ultimate value in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Young man, I'm speaking to you as well. You have ultimate value. He's not forsaken you. He's not left you. No, he loves you. In fact, today he's calling to you. Just bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Man, I just feel God working and moving here, don't you? Listen to me this morning. Right now, Jesus is calling your name. You have felt like you were not good enough for years. Maybe that came from your dad, your mom, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, an ex-husband, an ex-wife. Maybe you can't get that job. Maybe you were about to and you lost it. I don't know. But the value that you have in the eyes of Christ is ultimate. And scripture teaches us in the book of Romans that God's value for us was so high. His love for us was so great. Even before we loved him, even before we recognized that he was God, even while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And know what that means. God becoming flesh, being crucified on a cross for you, for me. I'm an enemy of God. I'm the exact opposite of who he should love. There's nothing good in me. You look at your life and you say, how could God love me? It's because he doesn't love you on the basis of you. He loves you on the basis of Christ. He loves you on the basis of himself. That's good news. You can't lose what you get from him. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to to keep it. He just gives it to you out of grace because he loves you. He loves you so much. The lowest moment in your life when you're most ashamed, he loved you. The, 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 the best moment, the highest level in your life when you're so proud, he loves you. He loved you perfectly at the highest and the lowest moment. Right now, think of the worst thing that you've ever done. Don't share it. Don't worry. Think of a time in your life when you're most ashamed. Say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that I engaged in that. I can't believe I looked at that. I can't believe that I drank that. I can't believe I smoked that. I can't believe that I went there. I can't believe I... Hold that moment. I think of the moment where you were so proud of yourself. You achieved that dream. You hit that goal. You earned that whatever. Listen to me. God loved you the same in both moments. (laughs) Travis, you don't know how many men I've been with. Travis, you don't know how many girls I've abused. Travis, you don't know how many men that I've left. You don't know that I'm about to divorce my wife, that I've left her. You don't know what I've... I don't have to know that. What you need to know is that apart from any of that, Jesus sees worth and value in you. In you. 
today is your day to turn to him and begin declaring that value in yourself. Do you hear me today? See, the amazing thing about Jesus Christ is he doesn't just forgive you of your sins, but he takes them away and he forgets them. He forgets your sin. And whether you are here live or listening online, I want you to know the call is the same. Today is the day of salvation. Do you hear me? Today is the day that you turn to Christ. Today is the day that you turn things around. Today is the day that you give in to him. Today is the day that you recognize that Jesus Christ is your Lord. With your eyes closed, your heads bowed, if you want to take your first step into a life of following Jesus, if you want this salvation, would you pray with me? right now, either live or online or from a podcast years from now. Pray with me right now, wherever you are. I plead with you. Give your life to Jesus Christ right now. It will not be easy. It will be hard. It will be learning a new way of life, but it is worth it. You will find life. You will be given life, truly. These words are not magical. It's your heart. It's your obedience. It's your faith. Would you pray with me today? With your eyes closed, your heads bowed. If you want this, Jesus, pray with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Just to yourself, forgive me of my sins. I claim that you are real, that you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe that you rose again. Save me. Jesus, save me. Take away my guilt. I don't want it. Take away my shame. I don't want it. Take away my hurt. I don't want it. Start to heal these scars. I don't want them. I want a new life. I want a new king, and that would be you. Live in me. Make a home in heaven for me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.